You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, good morning. Any of you see any football games this weekend? Yeah, me too. We're coming for you, Iowa. We are. And for you Nebraska fans, I want to encourage you, your favorite saying in light of your pain next week is going to be, go blue. And here's the reality. This may be my last Sunday, depending on next Saturday night's game. It's been a great 19 years. I've enjoyed my time with you. It's very possible, though, this is my last Sunday. No, it's been fun to watch football this weekend, hasn't it? But even more fun, it's been able to see what's been going on with regards to this campaign we've started to get. And this morning, as we continue in this series entitled For Siouxland, I want to ask that you take out your Bibles and turn, if you will, to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to take a look together at verses 43 through 48 as we talk together about this idea of serving. Now, while you're looking that up, let me ask you this simple question. See if you would agree with me. I think Christians should be known as the greatest people in the world. Do you agree? Now, here's why, because... Jesus was the greatest person in the world. And if you and I are going to become more like Jesus, then you and I with our actions ought to be drawing people toward him. It's one of the reasons we decided to do this campaign together entitled For Sulat. And we said we're going to have three action steps. The first of them is going to be give. The second of them is going to be serve. And next week we're going to talk about this idea of loving together. Because here's what we want to remind ourselves is this. Every person in this world matters to God. Whether or not God matters to them. Now, where do I get that from? Well, this is really the epicenter of the teaching of Jesus. Probably one of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture is found in John chapter 3, 16. And the Scripture says this, For God so loved. Who did he love? Those who had the ability to love him back? Those who were obedient to him? No. There's no qualifications whatsoever. For God so loved the world that he gave. In fact, he gave the most valuable thing to him. He gave his one and only son. And one of the things I want you to recognize, and we've been talking about through this series together, is this idea that true love has a desire to give. It's the very thing that moved and motivated the heart of God until eventually made a decision, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give what mankind needs more than anything else. We've been talking through this series together about the idea that we want to do together corporately the very thing that you and I should be doing individually. And we want to do it to people that matter to God, whether or not God matters to them. And we want to say to ourselves, even if they never embrace what you and I believe, we're to still love them. Last week, we started with this simple idea that we're to give. We took a look at this portion of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul says to the young pastor, command those who are rich in this present world. Who do we say was rich in this present world? Every single one of us, right? We said if you make a combined income of $50,000 a year or more, husband and wife, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in this world. We're all rich. So we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give generously to the people around us. And last week, as we gathered together, you gave in some incredible ways. I wish I could tell you how much. 
Because the truth is, I'm a horrible secret keeper, and if you kind of pull me aside this morning, I might just let it go because it's kind of welling up inside of me. But you gave in incredible ways. But it's not about the amount that you give. We said it's about 100% participation, so I still want to encourage those of you who are not given to give $39.95 yet. You can do so in the lobby, you can do so online, because next week when we celebrate together, I want to make sure that all of you are participants together. Now, this morning, I want to deal with this idea that people matter to God. And the truth of the matter is, that's something you and I understand clearly, but that wasn't always true. We even know that people outside of the kingdom of God, those that are not Christians, will say, listen, if a God exists, people matter to him. In fact, one of the reasons they get so angry at Christians is because sometimes we don't treat people well. But here's what people know. If there is a God in this world, people matter to him. Now listen to me, it wasn't always that way. In fact, in ancient days, in all honesty, people didn't matter to the gods. Gods, speaking plural, they were a polytheistic society. They had all sorts of gods. And the reality is they made a decision that God could care less about them. And if the gods didn't care about them, they didn't see a need to care about other people. It's one of the reasons they were constantly trying to appease the gods. They wanted the gods on their side. They wanted their gods to make sure that the kids were born and healthy. They wanted to make sure that their crops grew. They wanted to make sure that when they went into the wars, that somehow the gods were on their side. So they did whatever they could to somehow appease the gods. But the second thing I want you to see is this. Not only in ancient times did they not fully understand that all people matter to God, it was also a society of slavery. It's not as if slavery was some sort of a choice. Slavery was simply a part of the culture. And every single person was one bad move away from slavery. And in a society of slavery, the reality is this. People are not valued, are they? People become property. People become things that we use. People are not dearly loved. In that day and age, if a foreign nation came in and they pillaged your city, it was likely they would carry you off into slavery. If you were injured, and we talked about this last week, of the man with a shriveled hand, eventually it was possible to be carried into slavery because you didn't have the ability to work. Some people, when they eventually went into debt, became sort of this slave to the debtor before them, and they literally lived as slaves in that day and age. But now as we come to this portion of Scripture this morning, Jesus is going to give us a different idea. He's going to give us some sort of a different teaching. And Jesus not only illustrated with his words, but he also illustrated with action. And he says, in effect, listen, I've come into this world to be a representative of God. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, don't look out there somehow to see who God is. I want you to know I'm the very embodiment of God. So when you've seen me, you have seen the Father as well. Jesus to every single person said, listen, you have inherent dignity and value. Not because you're rich, not because of your status, but simply due to the fact that you've been created in the very image of God. You have value in this world. And it's one of the reasons if you're not a Christian, you believe that everybody should be treated fairly in this world, recognize that thinking came from Christians. It started and originated with followers of Jesus Christ that every single person in this world has dignity and value and they ought to be treated as such. 
So for you and I to say to people around us, hey, listen, you're valuable. You're valuable to God, and because you're valuable to God, you are valuable to me, a follower of Jesus as well. So listen, I want you to hear me on this. They were so concerned in this day and age about vertical worship, they forgot about this idea that God had given us horizontal worship as well. They were so concerned about their actions pleasing and appeasing the gods of heaven that they forgot that when Jesus Christ came, there was not only a vertical part of the cross, but there was also a horizontal part of the cross. Jesus would come and say, listen, if you love God, it's not just about vertical worship, about what you do to appease God. The reality is if you love God, you got to love what God loves. You gotta value what God values. You gotta care about the people that have been created in the very image of God. And that's what we're trying to do together throughout this entire series. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount speaks to this issue. He begins in Matthew chapter five, verse 43, and he's gonna give us a new ethic, a new moral as to how we're to live our lives. He says, listen, give to anyone who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Isn't it true for the most part when somebody wants to borrow from us, say, listen, can you pay it back and when can you do that? Jesus said, listen, if somebody can't pay you back, that's perfect in the kingdom of God. But what if I give to them so much that they become dependent on me? What if I give to them so much that in all honesty, we're just too generous with other people? Jesus would say, listen, that's perfect. Because in this new kingdom, in this new world that I'm turning upside down, there is a new morality as to how you live. And he goes on in his teaching. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In the day and age of Jesus, this was a common thinking as he walked into this world. That in all honesty, you could treat your enemy however you wanted to treat them. But now as Jesus comes onto the scene, he says this, but I tell you. And anytime Jesus says, but I tell you, saying, listen, the teaching of the world is wrong on this. I don't care what you learned in the synagogue, they're wrong. I don't care what the wisest man in your village said, he's wrong. I don't care what somebody who's interpreting the Torah has said to you in the Old Testament, they were wrong. There is no place in all of Scripture, no place in the character of God where there is any room for you and I to hate anyone. And the Scripture goes on. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now think about that for a moment. When you read that, don't you think to yourself, who are you kidding? I mean, the reality is how am I going to pray for those who persecute me? I mean, my prayers are pretty short to begin with. I pray for my family and for the people around me. If God were to somehow answer all of the prayers that I prayed in the last year, the only people that would benefit from them are usually my immediate family. But now Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to turn it outward. And I want you to actually begin to pray for those who persecute you. For that boss that seems to be antagonistic toward you. For that employee that just seems to get under your skin. For the one that is in your classroom that for some reason always seems to be bullying you. For those you're in middle school, maybe for your parents who you feel as though lay awake at night thinking about how they can make your life miserable. For all of those people, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them. I want you to actually pray for people who persecute you. 
So think of your boss, think of the bully, think of your parents, and I want you to pray for them, and here's why. Because it's going to soften and tenderize your heart. It's going to open you up to them more and more with the very love of Christ. And not only that, he says, I want you to know, now you're going to be able to somehow begin to mirror your father. Because as you do so, you begin to reflect him. So the scripture goes on, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be what? Children of your father in heaven. That you, son, might look like your father, like you, daughter, might look like your father. Now people are going to look around and they say, he must belong to his father. He must belong to Jesus. She must be in close proximity to Jesus because she lives as such. I want to encourage you this morning that through the teaching of the New Testament and the teaching of Jesus, he's telling us over and over again, it's our responsibility to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. And then he's going to give us an illustration. So he goes on to the scripture and he says this, he, speaking of God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Every single morning on people who are far from God and people who are near to God, he causes the sun to rise. And every night as he causes the sun to set, he causes it to set on those who are evil and those who are good. And then the scripture goes on and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here is a God who waters the crops through simply a word of his mouth, calling storms into existence, rain into existence, but he doesn't just allow it to rain on the fields of the righteous, he allows it to rain on the fields of both the unrighteous and the righteous, because that's what our God is like. Now Jesus is saying, in light of the example that I've given to you, I want you to love everybody, even people that don't love God back. I want you to do the very thing that your father does. I want you to love people, even who are your enemies, even people who persecute you. I want you to demonstrate the love of Christ because you rest secure in me. Now, when I say that, I know what some of you are going to say to me. Hey, Jeff, that's because you're a pastor. That's why you say that. I mean, you live in an ivory tower. You only work one day a week. Let's just suppose for a moment that I do live in an ivory tower and that I do work one day a week. This is not me telling you to do this. This is the son of your heavenly father, Jesus himself, teaching this one who was willing to give his life on the cross of Calvary for you. He's the one who's saying, here's what I want you to emulate in your life. Here's what I want you to do. And it is going to be through this sort of action that people are one to Christ. People are not transformed through the teaching of the parables. People are not transformed through the pushback on religion in this world. Here's how people are transformed, and we saw it at one time in human history. They are transformed by people who are willing in the name of Jesus to give, to serve, to love. So I want to encourage you this morning to figure out a way to do that. He goes on in this portion of Scripture, and he says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? says, listen, if you love those who love you, if you scratch the back of those who scratch your back, in all honesty, you're no different than anybody. And then he takes a category of people known as the tax collectors. They were probably seen at that point in time as the group of the most vile people around. The worst group. Think of it in your own mind for a moment. What's the worst group that you can possibly think of? Don't say it out loud. 
Let me just pull one out of thin air. Let's just say cat lovers for a moment. If you then, in a sense, are loving people that are like you, he said, listen, it's no big deal. But if you have the ability to love people who are very different than you, people that sort of swim against the grain of your life, saying, listen, that's what's going to make all of the difference in the world. And then he goes on to illustrate even further. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Greeting that day meant to welcome, meant to affirm, meant to embrace. So if you're just hanging around with your group, if you're just hanging out with like-minded people, I mean, really, what big deal is that? Ever had it before where you said to yourself as you hung around with a group of people, hey, listen, that's not my group of people. I mean, I like them, and I hope they go to heaven one day, but in all honesty, that's not my group of people. Jesus would say, that's the antithesis of what I'm trying to teach. I want you to know that you and I need to follow after Jesus in caring for the people of this world in somehow making sure that even those who are the down and out in the society, even those that we'd say in effect are not like us, even those who sometimes persecute us, hurt us, wound us, the reality is we need to keep on loving. Now here's the amazing thing is this, now as the scripture goes on, Reading in context here, it's going to say when you pray for those who persecute you, when you love those who are enemies of you, when even that bully comes at you, when you still with the love of Christ continue to care for them, here's what the scripture says. You are going to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, some are going to say, well, wait a minute, time out. Nobody's perfect, remember? You've preached it yourself before, Jeff, that nobody's perfect. Well, Jesus is saying, with regards to how we treat people around us, when we have the ability to love those who hate us, when we have the ability to care for even our enemies, when we have the ability to somehow pray for those who persecute us, in this area of our lives, we are perfect, meaning mature, complete. It doesn't mean you and I are without sin. It doesn't mean you and I make no mistakes. But when you and I treat other people the way that Jesus would want us to treat us, then you and I are perfect. Now, the religious leaders obviously took exception to this. Listen, nobody's perfect except God. I recognize that we all think with regards to worship in a vertical fashion. We think to ourselves, listen, I can't be perfect because of the words that I've said, because of the thoughts that I've had in my mind. Jesus is not talking about that. He's done all of this teaching on the context of how you and I are to exude the love of Christ in our own lives, especially when we come up against difficult people. And when we do, he says, you and I are perfect. We're mature. We're complete. We're not lacking anything. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, God-likeness or godliness was only in terms of vertical worship. And we'd often look at people around us that seemed to have no sin in their lives, and maybe they could quote Scripture backwards and forwards, and maybe when they prayed, they prayed this beautiful prayer, and we'd say to ourselves, man, those are some godly people. Isn't it true every now and then when we recognized how those people treated others, we said to ourselves, if that's what godliness is like, I don't really want to be godly? 
Because Jesus is going to sort of redefine it. Jesus is going to turn this world on its head. Jesus is going to say, here's the reality. God-likeness comes in how we treat one another. God-likeness comes from the fact that you and I value what God values, that you and I care about what God cares about, that you and I make a decision in how we treat people around us. We're going to be much like Jesus was. Think about it for a moment. Do you remember when Jesus was teaching And there was a centurion that came to him and he had a struggle, a problem that he wanted Jesus to deal with. You know who a centurion is, don't you? He's a Roman soldier over a hundred soldiers. That's what a centurion was. Now think about it for a moment. The Romans are the ones that came and invaded Jerusalem. In fact, they desecrated the Holy of Holies, the very temple of God. And now they were ruling and reigning in Israel and all of Jerusalem and they hated the Romans. So now here comes one of the leaders of the Roman army. And he comes up to Jesus, who was a Jew. And he says to him, listen, I could use a favor from you. My servant is sick. Could you just say the word so that he could be healed? Do you remember Jesus meets and ministers to his very need, this Roman soldier? Do you remember Matthew was a tax collector? Do you know what they said about tax collectors? We just shared it together. In fact, in all honesty, tax collectors were seen to be the scoundrels of society. Jesus comes up to Matthew, and he probably said to him, listen, I'm sorry, I used you in a couple of sermon illustrations, not in a good way, but I want you to follow me. Because I'm no respecter of person as to the wrong they've done in their lives, but here's what I know about me. I love everyone, and I want to welcome you to follow after me. Do you remember Jesus encounters a woman who was caught in prostitution? And she's there, this sinful woman, right alongside of what is going on in the temple. She's very close to the Torah, violating all sorts of Jewish law. And Jesus says, listen, I forgive you. No one should cast any stone. You're forgiven. Do you remember Jesus fed the 5,000 and he fed many more as well? Most of the people that he fed, I would say, were a part of the crowd one day that were going to crowd, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus would often heal people. And sometimes these people never came back and said thank you to him. And if that is not enough, Jesus was the one who loved you and me who lived in rebellion toward God so much that he eventually went to the cross of Calvary and he died in our place. Is there greater love for people who don't deserve it than simply that? Can I remind you that you and I want to be like Jesus? And while people in this world may always be criticizing what we believe, we should be famous for how well we treat other people because that's what Jesus called us to do. Is it possible that you and I can make a decision together as a church as we move into this community? Regardless of where people stand, could we recognize that they matter to God? Whether or not God matters to them, whether or not they ever embrace what you and I hold to, is it possible that you and I could just keep on loving? That whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, most of all, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and we are going to treat people around us in that sort of a fashion. 
Can I encourage you as we walk through this series together that that's what Sunnybrook Community Church needs to do? Can you imagine the world saying, listen, I may not want to be a Christian, but I'd sure like to work for one for the way that they treat people. I may not want to be a Christian. I may not want to embrace what they embrace, but I sure would love to have one work for me because they're high-integrity people. I may not want to believe what they believe, but I sure would like for one to marry my son because these are some godly, incredible people. I may not want to believe what they believe, but I sure love for them to move into my neighborhood because they make the best neighbors. Wouldn't that be an incredible testimony for you and I to have for the cause of Christ? So here's what we're doing in this four Siouxland campaign together. Last week, we asked you to give. We asked you to ante up, scrape together $39.95 because every single one of us wants to be involved in this. Now, this morning, we're asking you, the second thing we want you to do is to serve. In fact, we're hoping in the days to come that every single person, much like every individual giving, is now going to look for an opportunity to serve. You can go online, you can make your way out in the lobby today, Laurie's going to give you further instructions, but every single one of you to move into this community and to serve, you can serve with your family, you can serve alone, you can serve with a friend, but you just need to serve. And wouldn't it be cool if everybody would say around them, hey listen, the Christians are coming, the Christians are coming, and they're not coming because they're coming with a judgmental spirit, they're coming because they want to mentor and care for our kids. Wouldn't it be cool if people say the Christians are coming, the Christians are coming, and they're not avoiding our neighborhood because it's under-resourced. They're actually moving into our neighborhood, and they're caring for the people around it. The Christians are coming, the Christians are coming, and they're not just standing across the street yelling, don't abort your babies, but they're actually coming alongside of these women and walking with them in the very process of adoption, a very process of caring for their own children. Wouldn't it be cool if people were to say, the Christians are coming, the Christians are coming, and they're lifting the homeless off the street, and somehow they're finding housing for them. They're not yelling at them to get a job, but they're trying somehow to give them a hand up so that they can have a sustainable life to the honor and to the glory of God. Is it possible that every single one of us here, as we move into this Siouxland community, can not only give, but you and I can make a decision that we are going to serve much like Jesus served us. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, we just want to give you thanks this morning that you so loved us, not because of anything we've done, but simply because of your love, you gave your one and only son. Father, could you teach us to serve? Could you teach us to love even people who may never love you? And in so doing, Father, we pray that we might not call attention to ourselves, but we might call attention to Jesus, that people would praise our heavenly Father. God, move through this church in such a way as we serve in this community in the days to come, people would see Jesus through us. And I ask it all in his name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer hard questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. 
And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.